I'm John Torek. And I'm Danny Sullivan, and you're listening to Speaking of Design. Stories and sounds from the world of engineering, architecture, and beyond. We're here to bring to life stories behind some of the industry's most innovative design projects. In more than a decade working with engineers and architects, we've been witness to exciting breakthroughs in the way communities are designed. We want to share our best stories with you. Today, we'll take you to Kansas City, where we'll hop aboard the popular new downtown streetcar. I'm going to Kansas City, Kansas City, here I come. I'm going to Kansas City, Kansas City, here I come. Maybe you know it as the city of fountains with more than 200 flowing across the city. Or perhaps you can imagine the sweet taste of Kansas City barbecue. You might picture the recent World Series champion, Kansas City Royals. Strike three call! It's over! They've done it! The Royals are World Series champions! Or seeing a football game at Arrowhead Stadium. Touchdown, Kansas City! Touchdown. Of course, you might also think of the city's rich jazz history starting at 18th and Vine. I'm going to Kansas City, Kansas City, here I come. I'm going to Kansas City, Kansas City, here I come. In the first half of the 20th century, Kansas City had one of the largest streetcar systems. From 1908 to 1957, over 300 miles of streetcar tracks stretched across the city. Private companies boasted a fleet of more than 700 vehicles. That began to change around 1950. From the way it was reported, there was sort of a post-war love affair with the automobile, as they say, and buses became a more common form of transportation. And at the time, people liked the idea of the flexibility of buses, that they didn't have to run on rails. I think it was just sort of a shift in the post-war years to more of an auto-centric mentality. That's Christopher Kinzel, a traffic and planning section manager in HDR's Kansas City office. His career path was in his blood. The simplest explanation of all, my father was a traffic engineer and I kind of just followed in his footsteps. Only five streetcar systems in North America survived the rise of the automobile as families moved to the suburbs and population became less concentrated. In the early 2000s, many cities began exploring ways to revive their downtown areas. Kansas City proposed several longer light rail options to bring people to and from downtown but they struggled to get the community behind light rail. The city leaders took another tack with the streetcar where they were looking for this transit mode, but they really understood the economic benefits of a streetcar and the impact it can have on a downtown. Light rail and streetcars use similar technology. Both are electrically powered with overhead wires. But light rail projects tend to cover greater distances, with longer vehicles linked together and crossing fewer streets. A streetcar acts more like a bus on rails. The stops are more frequent than a typical light rail system. It's more about getting people short distances around a downtown, more compressed area. The city studied the benefits of several plans to find a mode of transit the community would support. I'm a planner by, by profession. That's Tom Garand, 
executive director of the Kansas City Streetcar Authority. I was the project manager on the study of the streetcar, where we determined what mode we would use, if it would be streetcar bus, and what alignment, and what our purpose, and what the objectives are of the project. Improving public transit helps support growth in bigger cities. It can help move people to, from, and around downtown without adding more traffic or requiring more parking. But it also requires a sizable investment. And that's why Christopher said that starting with a shorter downtown streetcar made sense for Kansas City. So it was a two-mile starter line. It was characterized as a starter line from the beginning. And it was a way for this to demonstrate the attractiveness of rail transit and that it could work in Kansas City. Although streetcars don't take people great distances, their frequent stops help supply foot traffic to businesses. So, unlike a bus route that can easily change, streetcar stops are relatively permanent, making it attractive to own a restaurant or an apartment building near a stop. And Tom explained how that helps economic development. We had done some analysis that said the permanence of a fixed rail investment would generate additional investments in the corridor and additional density, and that was a big part of it. We also believe that just due to the sheer fact that a certain segment of folks that will ride for whatever reason a, a rail system as opposed to a bus system, it would help us bring new ridership. Even if riding a streetcar carries a certain charm that might attract riders over a bus, it still comes at a higher upfront cost. And when we looked at it as a long-term investment, streetcar is more expensive, obviously, on the capital side up front. But it really is comparable and can even be more efficient longer term because it's a much longer term investment and the infrastructure lasts longer. We can carry more people. So as we start looking at cost per rider, there really is some economic rationale. Although studies did show the economic benefits, Christopher said the project still faced skeptics. There are always folks who are just sort of skeptical of large public investments, and so it certainly caught the attention of folks who wanted to make sure the city was spending its money wisely. I mean, we didn't have a streetcar from 1957 until 2016. That's David Johnson, a resident and board member in Kansas City's Crossroads Arts District with a background in the tech industry. So there were a whole generation of people who didn't really have a concept of what it was. They'd never been to Portland or Seattle. Or they'd never been over to Europe and seen extensive tram systems that were modernized. The Crossroads is a former industrial district. And in the 1980s, artists and gallery owners began to move into the neighborhood's old warehouses and industrial buildings. It's been written about in the New York Times as sort of the hub of Kansas City's creative community and now attracted more than just visual artists. We're attracting startup companies that are tech-focused, co-working spaces, architecture firms, marketing and PR, basically anybody that has anything to do with creativity. Although it would take some work to bring the entire community on board, David said many young professionals and creative types living downtown supported adding a streetcar to the neighborhood. The Crossroads Arts District is one of the neighborhoods where the streetcar passes through, and so I was very involved in that as a neighborhood association as a resident. I think the people that lived down here, though, had traveled around. They'd moved here from other cities. They were expecting something to be done, and it showed up as a wanted amenity on survey after survey of downtown residents. But to make the streetcar happen, the city needed the support of downtown businesses and the rest of the community. So when I look around and I'm trying to take all of this in, doing my best, I see a lot of people who believed that this day would come. And they worked hard to make sure that it did. And they believed in something that was challenging, something that was risky, but they followed through because they were convinced.
They also understood that if we are going to be the city that we are now and will continue to grow into, you have to be bold. At the streetcar grand opening, Kansas City Mayor Sly James, who was one of the streetcar's strongest advocates, recognized what it took to make it happen. Just four months after opening, Kansas City became the first transit project to receive a platinum Envision verification from the Institute for Sustainable Infrastructure. Now you may remember, Envision is a rating system to evaluate the community, environmental, and economic benefits of civil infrastructure. Obviously, any kind of rail transit project has environmental benefits. After all, you're moving thousands of people from point A to point B using clean electric power. The primary thing is that it's a mode of transit as a mode is inherently a sustainability concept. It's getting people out of their cars. It's encouraging walking and transit trips, non-motor trips. So it's reducing emissions. It's reducing the use of autos. It's actually promoting a healthy community by getting people to walk places and those kinds of things. But the unique story in Kansas city involved the other two branches of the triple bottom line, social and economic sustainability, because that's what it took to overcome some of the skeptics. We are in an environment currently with infrastructure where there isn't enough dollars to go around. That's Janet Gonzalez, Sustainable Transportation Director at HDR. Agencies and communities need to be as competitive as possible in order to secure, you know, federal funds. We all know that there are more project requests out there than there are dollars to go around. Janet said a big part of Envision is looking at the total picture when you design infrastructure, talking to the community, looking at how it affects business, considering how it will promote healthy living, and thinking about what it will look like in the future. Respect to Kansas City, one of the goals of the streetcar project was to bring people back into the downtown urban core. And history has shown and research has shown that rail transit does a very good job of doing that. It's transportation solution that's a little more embedded, literally and figuratively. Janet said the city was visionary in its approach listening to the community and thinking about more than public transportation. One way to do that is to really look at the various possible benefits of a project. What are the goals of your project? Where do you want to be? That meant bringing together diverse opinions. When you talk to communities now in any kind of pursuit or any kind of project, you find that communities are colorful. So sometimes you'll have your stakeholder that's pro-project and excited about what you're doing, and many times you have people that hate everything about what it is that you're trying to do. The first step was explaining what a streetcar would look like on Main Street and how it would operate. Sometimes it's difficult to picture an opportunity if you've never been exposed. So it took a lot of, of outreach, a lot of explaining the details, showing you know things like videos to figuratively visualize what this could look like. Tom Guerin said the city even made sure stakeholders could experience the real thing. We brought in a streetcar from a manufacturer who was willing to bring one in so people could actually look at it when we were in the planning phases and feel it and touch it and compare it to a, a bus. 
we took folks and stakeholders to other cities like Portland and others who had invested in uh, streetcar transit so they could see it in action. Christopher Kinzel said engineers literally took to the streets to help the community understand the plan. We had something called a streetcar stroll where we would walk down the street with reporters and interested public and stakeholders just explaining what it was going to look like when it was there and here's where the stops are going to be and here's where it'll turn the corner and here's where it'll do this and that. And it, and gradually the public began to get a feel for what this was, how it was different from maybe things that have been proposed locally in the past. Downtown residents were enthusiastic. Political leadership was motivated to make it happen. And Tom said the city was picking up momentum. We went from the question of if it was going to be built to when and how pretty quickly. Tom said the next question was how the city would finance the project. We had struggled, frankly, to pass citywide votes for things. We're a really big, sprawling, 300-plus square mile city. And to pass a citywide proposition, you got to have a really big system. you got to touch a lot of districts. you got to have long distances covered. And it's really hard to do that with fixed rail transit, given the costs. So, in addition to federal grants, the city got creative. The financing strategy was unique. We used a transportation development district methodology, which is a mechanism that's enabled by state statute to collect a property in the sales tax primarily uh, within just the downtown district. It was a more of a methodology where it was focused on the people who would be benefiting would be the ones paying. Christopher said the small tax increase on business owners along the route actually funded more than 70% of the construction cost. So that took the financial burden off of most Kansas Cityans. But David Johnson from the Crossroads District said business owners still needed to be sold on the benefits that a streetcar would bring. The business community who ended up contributing to the special district was very skeptical initially. And that was, I think, primarily driven by the funding mechanism itself. There was some negotiation with the city, and eventually the downtown business community anyway got on board in a major way. And Christopher said the business community became owners in the project. I think ultimately the businesses got behind it and because they were so involved in helping with siting the station and figuring out what things were going to look like and the aesthetics of the whole thing, they really felt a sense of ownership by the time the thing was done. For businesses along the route, the selling point for helping fund the streetcar was bringing more customers to their storefronts or residents to their apartments and condos. That counted on people riding the streetcar. So Tom said part of the plan to make sure that happened was to fund the operation. Meaning for riders, Kansas City Streetcar is free of charge. One of the goals of the project was to encourage use, encourage economic activity throughout the corridor. And so the board decided, you know what, instead of spending 75% of the revenues from our fares on administration and fare equipment, we would rather pay the differential, uh, remove the fare barrier, encourage higher use. It was a bold move to encourage rides from people who aren't used to public transit. It also removes a barrier that's more psychological, so not even the financial aspects, but just the fact that it's easy to ride. I think that's really important for systems that are new to communities like ours because people get intimidated. And so everything that we could do in terms of the alignment, it's bidirectional on one street. You can see the streetcar going north and coming south. No fare that it really is. Tried to, we tried to do everything we could do to make it user-friendly. The route itself also encourages ridership.
Uh, the streetcar system is a 2.2 mile long modern streetcar that connects really four distinct neighborhoods in the downtown and ties them together. It starts on the south at Union Station and it runs north through a double track configuration on Main Street through the Crossroads uh, neighborhood and then through our downtown loop, which is our business district, our entertainment center, and our convention center and our sprint arena. And then loops on the north side and connecting the River Market neighborhood and our historic city market. Conveniently linking all those destinations helps to unify downtown, opening up entertainment options further from where you might park on a given night. One of the things Streetcar did was to really help to connect those places together and serve induced demand and to encourage really movement between those districts. With funding in place, free ridership, and a route designed to appeal to riders, the project team had one major hurdle left. Well, I think for any small business, having a disruption in traffic downtown is a huge deal. I am Sarah Darby, and I own Bloom Baking Company in the city market. We have been in the market since 2010, and we are the only bakery down in this area. We specialize in artisan bread. Uh, we offer cakes and pastries, croissants and Danish. The city market first opened in 1857 and has one of the largest and longest running farmers markets in the Midwest. And Sarah has a love for the neighborhood. There is really no other place in Kansas City like the city market. I've been coming down here since I was a kid and I just love all of the diversity of the food and the availability of fresh produce and seasonal items that you would have a hard time finding in other places throughout the city. Sarah said the reurbanization of downtown Kansas City had created a greater need for public transportation and she supported the streetcar concept. I think the city realized that they just had to do something to meet the needs, both parking and the needs of the business owners down here to get people out and about in a quick manner during the day. But as business owners we talked to agreed, maintaining business during construction was the biggest challenge. Whether it was a perceived issue of parking and road closures and daily construction by our regular customers, which means that maybe they're not going to travel down in that area because they're not sure if they're going to have the ability to park or if there actually was issues with parking, it's kind of one and the same. Christopher said the city and the engineering team worked hard to listen to business owners' concerns and adjust what they could to make construction less painful. We also went door to door to businesses along the line, set up meetings with building owners and business representatives, and really talked about how it would impact the space in front of their buildings, in addition to the difference it was going to make at a broader scale. But we would talk with each of them, and each one had a concern. I mean, for example, we met with H&R Block, who does everyone's taxes, right? During tax season, they needed to make sure they were going to be up and running. Designers moved every one of the streetcar's 14 stops to adjust to business owners' ideas or help reduce construction impacts. One example was in the Power and Light District. We met with them and we showed them where we were going to be putting stop and they informed us, hey, we're going to be building a new doorway into our complex right in front of your stop and that's not going to work. And so we were able to move the stop and really going through, there was sort of event after event like that where we would meet with folks, say, here's our plans. One was a movie theater. Here's how that might affect our operations. Can you make this tweak? And most of the time we were able to come up with a solution I'd say just about every time. Tom said that part of the city's job was communicating the benefits those businesses would have when the dust settled. 
We were going to have to navigate a construction period that wasn't going to be fun. And you hope that there's a payoff at the end of that sort of pain and agony that's worth it. And part of our challenge was communicating our belief that we thought it would be. But it's hard to give guarantees to businesses who are all out there on their own and just trying every day to, to do what they need to do to be successful. When it started progressing, it seemed like things moved rather smoothly. I will tell you, it was a, it was a bit tricky to weather certain storms down here in the market. The idea that there was a light at the end of the tunnel was comforting, and it's been a positive change for us. With this project, we've witnessed new life being breathed into our city, and we've established a conduit and a pattern for changing the way that we live, work, and play. With this project, we're providing a structure to critical functions in our city and for the critical function of the heart of this city. Our businesses, our entertainment, and our restaurants, but most of all, our people are connected and we're innovating. And when we're transforming not just what our city looks like, but how we operate, that's when we thrive and that's when we grow. I'm going to Kansas City, Kansas City, here I come. I'm going to Kansas City, Kansas City, here I come. The streetcar opening in May 2016 ushered in a new era in downtown Kansas City. But signals of the change began long before the tracks were live. The city quotes a number, and I think it's still fairly relevant, of $400 million worth of investment that's come along since the streetcar was announced and has said, you know, the developers have said the streetcar was part of our decision to do this. Though not solely due to the streetcar, Nearly 100 projects worth more than $1.8 billion have been announced in the Transportation Development District that funds the streetcar. New hotels, new restaurants, retail, office space. We have 1,800 residential units under construction within a few blocks of our route. That's going to represent about a 40% increase in residential densities. And those folks are going to be streetcar riders. And so, as we've seen in Portland and other places, there's a really tight correlation between residential growth in close proximity to streetcar and streetcar usage. And David Johnson from the Crossroads District said business has bounced back now that construction is over. Retail sales are up 58% between the two years that construction sort of got started and the line opened in 2016. So, you know, that, that sort of massive increase in retail sales has pretty much squelched any, any remaining opposition or questions or skepticism that there was uh, early on. Tom said that's bringing new types of customers downtown and businesses are adjusting to their new clientele. It's really been fascinating to see the impact, how many more people are coming in doors of businesses, what businesses are doing to hire more people, to extend hours of operations, to change their menu, to cater to a whole new clientele that they didn't previously have access to. And so we're hearing things from business owners who at one time were really skeptical and nervous who are now really, really excited. David said perhaps the best example is Michael's clothing. After the streetcar opened, the owners of Michael's noticed a change. Yeah, there's a a men's clothing store called Michael's. It's in the crossroads, actually. Their store has been there for like over 100 years. They have the same family. And they've weathered every storm the neighborhood's had. They were one of the most vocal critics. They weren't even skeptical. They were actually critic and very loud and were horrified at at what construction might do because they face Main Street. And so after that completed, they were still a little agitated. And then they had all of a sudden their first big year of sales in decades. 
and started seeing new customers, younger customers. And for a store like that that's been in business for 100 years, seeing an influx of new young customers is um, kind of shocking. <laughs> and so it took them a while to sort of say, well, clearly we know why. And now they're one of the project's biggest proponents. On top of the functional transportation purpose and the measurable business impact, the streetcar has become part of the character of downtown and a new part of the city's identity. Fans too loud, it's the Royals' home run. Our hometown champs play at Cuffman Stadium. A crack of the bat, a loud hooray. Here's where the Royals come to play. Now here is something new to see, a streetcar that runs for you and me. From Union Station, where trains often stop, past Bartle Hall, with art on the top. When I give presentations on this and want to show evidence of you know, what a cultural impact it's made and how much it's already become a part of the fabric of Kansas City. There have already been two children's books that have come out in the last year that are like about Kansas City. And the streetcar is just one page in that book, along with all these other icons, bridges and buildings and things that are important in Kansas City. And the streetcar is already considered one of those things. You know, we said from the beginning, we believed that it would redefine how we think about downtown and how people view it. Instead of just viewing it as the Power and Light District and the Sprint Center when they come down for shows, now they're experiencing the crossroads and the river market, and it's unified our districts within our downtown and made them really accessible. The streetcar appears on the cover of the Kansas City Visitor's Guide, and downtown businesses often advertise that they're just off the streetcar line. Tom said the city has categorized three types of regular riders. We have downtown employees who are using it during the business day for meetings and lunch events. Then downtown residents, like Sarah's employees at the bakery. We have a stop just about probably 200 feet from the back of our store that makes it convenient. I have several employees that utilize the streetcar every day for their transportation back and forth to work, which has been really great for them. And tourists who might be going to a game, a concert, or just a night on the town. They might stay in their hotel right on the line. I mean, there's numerous hotels within a block or two of the line. You know, you could get on the streetcar, take it to the basketball game down at the Sprint Center, which is just a block off the line, get back on, go take it and get dinner somewhere, maybe do a little shopping and head back for the night. I was downtown a lot for the Big 12 basketball tournament and talking to riders on the streetcar who were exploring new districts. They were up in the River Market. They were down in the crossroads and at Union Station, and they had never left the Power and Light Complex in years past. Another group of riders that designers had in mind were people using wheelchairs, walkers, or strollers. The system is 100% low floor, which means essentially you can walk from one end of the vehicle inside the vehicle to the other without any kind of bumps or anything in your way. It's flat the entire way. And that means that folks in wheelchairs and other people can move around the vehicle a lot more easily. It feels like a moving hallway. Uh, and so it, it's this place where it makes it a lot easier to access. And then level boarding is the idea that where the streetcar can pull up and the platforms have been designed so that they're exactly even with the doors so that when the doors open, wheelchairs can roll right in. The 100% low floor vehicles were the first in operation in the U.S. It's one of the things that differentiates streetcars versus other alternatives is for people to be able to roll on and roll off in a wheelchair or with a cane and a walker or with a stroller or with a bike um, makes it, again, that much easier to access the system. The stops also feature smart city technology, 
which is part of a wider initiative in Kansas City. Use the construction of the streetcar as an opportunity to implement a broader smart city network downtown, and that includes free public Wi-Fi. It includes kiosks on almost each one of our platforms that has a vehicle locator where you can track the location of the streetcar and other information that's helpful to, to riders and visitors to downtown. In addition to the kiosks, Christopher said the streetcar corridor features other new technologies. They installed the streetlights along the corridor have pedestrian sensors in them so that they will brighten up if pedestrians are coming by or dim after a while if pedestrians aren't there. And some of the intersections have automatic pedestrian sensors so you don't have to push a button to cross. Sarah Darby said she's gotten a mix of downtown foot traffic, tourists, and families from the suburbs visiting City Market since the streetcar opened. Taste of Kansas City food tours even added a streetcar food and historical walking tour, which stops at Bloom Baking Company. I think that it has overall been a really positive change for us and support future expansion. And I know that other small businesses that would be on expansion lines down the way would positively benefit from it too. Tom said the city intended this as a starter line and is studying a short northern expansion to connect to the riverfront. But the more immediate goal is a southern leg, that would connect to a much larger population. A large southern extension, 3.4 miles approximately south to vicinity of uh, UMKC and the Country Club Plaza, that would be a game changer for the entire city. It would serve one of our highest demand transit corridors. It would connect our, effectively our two downtowns. It would give access to significant residential populations. Our colleague, Jack Robertson, took a ride on the streetcar and found riders excited about the future and what it means to Kansas City. I live downtown, and I will say this is the first time I've taken the streetcar in the six months I've lived here. I hope that soon they'll expand it all the way down to the plaza, Westport. It's cool that it's free. I think that's very user-friendly and nice. And to be honest, days like this when it's jam-packed is when we get really excited because it makes it see... It's even more aware that the city's really growing and people are coming back to the city and celebrating how awesome Kansas City is. The end result? Ridership has more than doubled the initial projections. If you hit downtown Kansas City on a weekend, the streetcars are full of riders exploring new parts of the city. It has been phenomenal. People love it. The Twitter account and Facebook just buzzes with people posting pictures of themselves and communicating back and forth with the streetcar folks, telling them what a great system it is. There's just been an overwhelmingly positive response. I think it's an exciting thing, and people that live down here love it, and the tourists think it's a great time. You know, we can have a ton of foot traffic throughout the week, and I imagine that the summer is going to even be more so of families that come down from the suburbs to ride the streetcar. So whenever I get on, that makes me so happy. It brings me a lot of joy just to see that it's creating this environment in which people can interact and contributes to the vibrancy of downtown. But whenever I get on it, the first time I got on it, I, I just couldn't stop smiling because it was it was even better than I had imagined it. It's been a project to celebrate for the city, setting an example for other cities looking to partner with the community to introduce new forms of transit. 
So for us, it's a huge deal because it's, you know, it's part of a much bigger renaissance and it positions downtown very well for sort of the next 10 years and 20 years as we build more amenities, more businesses, more restaurants, more activities, more entertainment, up and down the entirety of the alignment. I'm sure that Kansas City is inspiring other cities because I, I know the mayor has said that we have delegations come in from other cities in the Midwest and really throughout the U.S. that come in to look at what has happened, to spend a day or two riding the streetcar and talking with the folks who run it. And I think this is probably translatable to other Midwestern cities. I think every city has its own personality and its own path to something like this. Kansas City returned to its roots more than 50 years after the original streetcars left the tracks. It was a community effort that required the support of many leaders who loved their city. And so we thought it was fitting to close with one of the streetcar's biggest proponents, Mayor Sly James. A man of many talents, the mayor performed at his 2016 State of the City address. Now that you've heard about all the big things happening, when are you going back to Kansas City? And I love you, dear. Special thanks to our colleague, Jack Robertson, for co-writing this episode. We'd also like to thank Mr. Cheswick and Kevin Lawrence for their covers of Kansas City by Fats Domino. And finally, thank you to Mayor Sly James, who covered another song named Kansas City with the Naughty Pines. The original was written by Bob Dylan. For more information on this podcast, visit hdrinc.com backslash speaking of design. You'll find links to pictures, articles, and more information about this project. If you like what you heard, be sure to rate us or leave feedback on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.